astounding fact that Judge Judy is the richest paid television personality making between 45 and 50 million dollars a year. I also didn't tell you that she only works 30 days a year. <laughs> but there's a, there's a, there's a kind of a, a reason there perhaps that uh, we like watching those judge shows there as a judge. We hear the two uh, cases there and the judge you know, makes, the, makes the decision there by, by, based on what she's heard there and uh, tends to just uh, be whittle and cut apart the uh, the one who is guilty and uh, and give justice to the one who has uh, uh, been uh, been offended against. Um, we have, I believe, a built-in tendency to to judge others. This morning, though, I want to tell you how to correctly channel that tendency. How to correctly channel that tendency. Uh, in Romans chapter 14, verses 4 through 12, which we looked at a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, Apostle Paul tells the weak brother not to judge the strong brother who exercises Christian liberty in some areas. For every man someday must give an account to God for all his actions. <clears throat> And so we're definitely commanded to keep our nose out of other Christians' lives in doubtful areas and our order not to criticize them. That, of course, is different than the moral things that we're supposed to keep, uh, care for each other as brethren and, and warn and admonish each other, okay? We're talking about uh, uh, doubtful areas, areas where we can have disagreement in. I mean, last time we looked, we saw that God is a legalizer, and by that, we, we kind of tend to put a negative connotation on that, but to legalize means to make something legal. God is the justifier in verse 1. He says in, in, uh, in, in uh, Luke, uh, excuse me, I'm, I'm in the wrong chapter here, Romans chapter 14 and verse 1, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul says, I'll get there. He says, Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not the doubtful disputations. Later on, he says in verse 3, Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. There's the uh, stronger, don't despise, judge the the weaker. Let uh, not him that eateth not, the weaker, judge him that eateth, the stronger. For God hath received him. And we said that word means to welcome. And it's it's repeated a few times in chapter 15, verse 7. You see it a little more strongly. So a genuine acceptance of others is not an option. Sorry. Sorry. The weak to the strong, the strong to the weak, in matters of difference, Paul calls them disputable matters in verse 1. Christians can be, listen to this, Christians, and this is going to be hard to believe, Christians can be perfectly right with God and differ in different thinking and customs and habits. God is the justifier. Then we saw that God is the Lord. God is the Lord. He brings up the Lordship of Christ uh, in chapter 14. Uh, <coughs> and in verse 8, he says, Whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. And he's the one that we're going to be responsible to and, and give an account of our individual lives. And so withhold judgment on these disputable matters because judgment belongs to God. And one day we will all stand before God 
and give an account of our individual life. I will not give an account for Lynn's life. Uh, and there's a sense I will as a pastor. Uh, I will not give an account of Bruce's life. I will give an account of my life and a stewardship, a responsibility that God has given me before God at the Bema seat. So God is the Lord. And the third thing we saw last time is God is a liberator. He does give us the freedom of the gospel, but that freedom gives us a responsibility uh, to live in line with the freedom of the gospel. Now, of the stronger and weaker brother, uh, it seems very clear that Paul agrees in the position of the two groups. He doesn't agree. remember the issue here is the attitudes that are going on. All right, but he does agree with the uh, position of the stronger brother. You see, then chapter. 14, verse 14a, uh, also verse 17, uh, that we'll see today as well. You can see later on in verse 20, in chapter 15, 1, you see it very clearly. Um, he would consider himself the stronger brother in this, and he's, but he's not concerned with spilling ink to prove the positions here at this point. Instead, he's concerned with his sinful attitudes of both because he knows that's the biggest issue. Uh, and he makes that clear in verse 19. God is a liberator because He has liberated us from being defined by these things to having our security, the refuge of our soul found in Christ. That is so freeing when you understand that. Your conscience is free to live in line with the gospel. Not bound to man's laws and other opinions. I'm going to say, well, what about later on? That's what we're going to get to today. So we can rejoice in the freedom in Christ. We can renew our minds to live within the freedom of the gospel. We can jettison. We can, we can purge those sinful attitudes of those who exercise their freedom in Christ. To, we, uh, we can stop allowing, through the Holy Spirit, a judging attitude to foster pride and disunity in a church. Because Jesus is the liberator. And so I believe this section of Romans 14.1 all the way through chapter 15, 13, can be summarized in this sentence. Believers should accept one another and make room for different personal preferences and build each other up so that we can have unified praise to God. I think if you string together the, the uh, primary emphasis of this passage, that's what we come up with. Believers should accept one another and make room for different personal preferences and build each other up so that we can have unified praise to God. Now, here's the issue. We're getting into 13 through 19 this morning. So the question of what to do as a stronger brother to the weaker brother for the building up of the church will be answered in the next several verses. Let's look in chapter 14, verse 13. Let us not therefore judge one another anymore. That's come up a few times already. Stop judging one another in these matters of personal uh, uh, preference where you stand in these disputable issues. But he says, channel that judging the right way. He uses a play on words in the original language. He says, don't judge each other, but judge this. Exercise that same critical nature to yourself here, is what he's saying. And, and judge this. Judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. Okay? Here's what he's saying. We need to examine entirely. Examine entirely. We need to discern. Stronger brothers need to discern whether or not they are an obstacle to growth. 
They need to discern whether or not they are an obstacle to growth. Verse 13, he uses a couple words here. A couple choice words here in chapter 14 and verse 13 when he says, um, Judge this rather than no man put a stumbling block. There's one. Or an occasion to fall. There's the other. In his brother's way. That tells us there that there is a comprehensive determination that needs to go on between you and the Lord in your heart here. Okay? The apostles... Choice of words here calls for a complete determination not to be an obstruction. That word for stumbling block means something that has been carelessly left about over which somebody stumbles. If you have kids, you know what that word means. Right? Especially at night when you step on Legos. The dreaded Lego dance. Alright? Legos spread spread out and the lights are off. You are like walking on glass doing the Lego dance. Um, Maybe you don't understand that. I'm sorry, but uh, you, you would if you experienced it. The word hindrance here, which is in our translated, uh, translation translated an occasion to fall, um, <clears throat> has the idea of something deliberately left to ensnare another. Okay? So there's some deliberation here. Okay? And Paul here tells us that we need to examine entirely to discern whether or not this is happening in our lives to the weaker brothers. Look at verse 14. He says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus, here he is as a stronger brother, saying, this is true, that there is nothing unclean of itself. And all the stronger brothers said, Amen. Look at the next part there. But to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, or thinks anything to be unclean to him, it is unclean. So Paul certainly agrees with the stronger brother in this issue he's specifically speaking of. And we have, and I think, uh, spent much time in the past few weeks explaining what the issues were with the meat and, and, uh, and, and drink and the, and the days of celebration. That's in the context of this chapter. So he agrees with the stronger brother. Things are only things, alright? I'm persuaded by the Lord Jesus. There's nothing wrong with this. Material things uh, are not wrong. And the weaker brother's position is incomplete. It is incorrect. And and they have been uninformed. Their faith needs to grow to inform their behavior and positions. But, Paul says, if a Jewish brother believed, however wrongly, that he could not eat the meats because they were not kosher, and he thought that didn't please God, then it was unclean to him. Now look what he says in verse 15. But if thy brother be grieved with thy mean, it's the word means injured, now walkest thou not charitably. You're not walking in love. If you're injuring your brother with your freedom to eat this, destroy not him with the meat for whom Christ died. Paul's saying, don't let your liberty discourage your weaker brother in his Christian discipleship. And maybe in this context and setting, you can picture it like this. So, Mr. Smith, the stronger brother, he's at a church function, and he is eating his ham sandwich. Alright? But he is flaunting his ham sandwich. He is flaunting his liberty. That's kind of the idea here. Uh, uh, because remember, it's the sinful attitudes that are going on. And he is scorning this guy. Say, look, it's okay. To, you know, he is scorning this other person's position here. Okay? He's flaunting his liberty. Remember, your attitude in your Christian liberty is the important thing. Remember earlier, 
where he talks about the wrong attitudes in 14, 1 through 12. And so Paul says, exercise your liberty in Christ, but don't forget that it is tethered to this other principle of love for the brethren. How many times does Christ talk about loving each other? How many times does it come up in the epistles? All right. A whole lot. So they are tied to each other, alright? Like railroad tracks. They, they got to be joined to each other. Okay? Love and liberty. Exercise your liberty, but it ceases to be liberty if it's destroying another person. So he shouldn't... Um, he wants them to, to, uh, to understand that their display of love, your display of love to each other, speaks louder to the watching world than your display of your freedom in Christ. You understand that? Your display of your love for one another speaks louder as a witness to the grace of Christ in your life, that aroma of Christ, than the freedom that you have to participate in this, or refrain from this, or whatever. You see, here's the issue. People internalize truth differently, don't they? They internalize truth differently. They also internalize it at different paces, different rates than other than other people. Um, there were folks that hadn't had their consciousness informed fully yet by the Word of God. Um, remember Mark 7, Jesus says, it's not the things you're eating here that matter, it's what's in your heart here. That's where things proceed. You might say, well, how far do you go then in this deference? I mean, you've got to be honest, that, that's got to be what you're thinking here. How far do you go in this principle of deference? Um, oh, what's the extent of the application of this? Do you just apply this indiscriminately? Because if you do, you'll be subject to the most stringent and narrow person in the church, and the church would never move. I mean, a little while ago, there were people, and there still are people, who thought it was worldly to have electricity, right? Um... And, and, I, and, I, and Paul is not saying we live to the whims and every opinion of others. Let me illustrate it this way. Um, Dr. Donald, Donald Gray Barnhouse, he's a past, he was a pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in, 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 the, uh, in the beginning of the 1900s. And in 1928, he was uh, speaking at a conference in Montrose, uh, Pennsylvania. <clears throat> Uh, James Montgomery Boyce succeeded him, and, and he's a, Barnhouse is a great pastor. And this conference in Pennsylvania, there are about 200 young people present. And while, one of the days while he's preaching this conference, uh, two women came to him in horror because some of the girls were not wearing stockings. And these women wanted him to rebuke the girls who weren't wearing stockings. And his reply is classic. Uh, he, he, he writes this, looking them straight in the eye, I said, the Virgin Mary never wore stockings. <laughs> they gasped and said she didn't. I answered, in Mary's time, stockings were unknown. So far as we know, they were first worn by prostitutes in Italy in the 15th century when the Renaissance began. Later, a lady of the nobility wore stockings at a court ball, greatly to the scandal of many people. Before long, however, everyone in the upper class was wearing stockings. These ladies, uh, who were holdovers from the Victorian era, uh, uh, had no more to say. 
He said, I did not rebuke the girls for not wearing stockings. A year or two afterward, most girls in the United States were going without stockings in summer, and nobody thought anything about it. Nor do I believe that this led toward disintegration of moral standards in the United States. Times are changing, and a step away from Victorian uh, legalism was all for the better. Um, So, I mean, how far do we go here? Uh, Because you all have different opinions. You all want other people to do things a certain way. You all want me to do things a certain way in your own way. Right? But look in verse 15. I think we have maybe an answer to this, because this is something I've wrestled with. Verse 15, he says this, But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, now walkest thou not charitably. Now look at the second part. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. I think it puts a little bit in perspective there in that second part of the verse. Because Paul is talking about destroying your brother. If you're wondering what that word means, in our translation over and over, it's translated as perish. He uses, uh, he, he means the destruction of the work of God in the weaker brother's life. The good work begun in them to bring them into the fullness of the likeness of Christ. We're talking about causing the weak to quit. Destroying the one for whom Christ died, Paul says. And, and just about every time that Paul uses that specific word for destroy with a personal object, it refers to spiritual ruin. Let me show you that I'm not making this up. Look at Romans chapter 2 with me, uh, verse 12. For as many have his sinned without law shall also, here's the word, just translated destroy in 14, perish without law. And as many have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Go to uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 1.8. <coughs> Who shall also confirm you unto the end. I think I wrote down the wrong reference for that one. I apologize. Go to chapter 8, 11 of 1 Corinthians. Here's kind of a parallel passage. Um, although it's kind of coming from a different, the flip perspective. But in 1 Corinthians eight eleven, he says, And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Does that sound a little familiar? Go to um, chapter 5 and verse 18. Or excuse me, 15 and 18. 15, 18. There's no 518. Chapter 15, verse 18. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. He's, he's saying uh, in verse 17, if Christ isn't resurrected, then our faith is empty. You know, we just destroy it. You're yet in your sins. He's not resurrected. Your faith is vain. Verse 17, you're yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. We're still in our sins if Christ isn't resurrected, he's saying. But that's the word, perished. Okay, destroyed. Um, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, and them that are saved, and in them that perish. 4.3 of 2 Corinthians. 4.3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are, the word there is, perishing. Destroyed. Hid to them that are lost. Destroyed. Perishing. 
And in 2 Thessalonians 2.10, I won't go to all the passages here. Second Thessalonians 2.10 And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. Um, I, listen, I can't tell you, I don't have it reconciled in my mind what Paul is saying there in Romans chapter 14. I wish I, I wish he, but he leaves it very ambiguous. But he is making a point. Here, that the, the, maybe he's using hyperbole. I don't know. I don't think he is. But Paul is talking about something uh, that the weak in faith might be led because of your scornful attitude as a weak, as a stronger brother to the weaker brother, and your liberty here may be led to turn away from your faith by your action and scorn. And God paid a tremendous cost. For the life of every person who knows Christ in your church. And must value them. So that issue and your attitude about it and flaunting your liberty to the weaker brother. It could destroy your brother if the evil one worked in that way. And caused him to take steps to quit the faith and turn away. Does this mean that I don't believe in eternal security? I believe in eternal security. believe that uh, there is a promise that in Christ nothing shall pluck them out of the Father's hand. So I don't understand all the dynamics of how this works and what Paul is totally saying. I'm just to be honest with you. But he says it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. On the human level, the human side, uh, it can cause you to destroy a brother you are flaunting it in this way carelessly. So examine. Examine entirely your, your heart and, and, and your life and, and the issue where, where it has been an offense uh, to a weaker brother. Um, <clears throat> remember, a good portion of the issue here in the Roman church is the wrong attitudes of their liberty. And that helps put it in perspective and also helps us not be slaves to every whim and opinion. Right? But there's another point here. Express eternally, alright? Live to express eternal values. We can use another word, represent. Represent. Look what he says in Romans 14. Now in verse 16. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. We're to live like citizens of the King. What are we called in uh, 2 Corinthians 5? Ambassadors of Jesus Christ. That's who we're really living for. And that's the cause. That's to galvanize us. That's the big purpose and goal we're to see. And he says, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Okay, Again, an argument for the stronger brother, but also he's kind of using that back... Uh, kind of a back channel way back to the stronger brother here to say okay your liberty but remember it's not all about that he says it's not in externals just like you would mock uh, uh, scorn the weaker brother for what they're what they're what they're so confined by um guess what um remember king of god is not meat and drink your liberty either it's not about that that's not the big point that's not the big purpose 
It's not built on externals. Uh, it's not about uh, uh, your hair uh, uh, being a certain length uh, above or, or not above your ears. Uh, it's not uh, all about going here or doing that. But look what he says here. Rather, it's living in the Spirit. It's living in the Spirit. If you find yourself so focused on externals, you've missed the Spirit living through you. It's all about the Spirit, the one who guides us. Notice he says um, uh, about the, the kingdom of God being righteousness and joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. He says this, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, what's that? Remember Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be what? Filled. Filled with what? Yeah, the king. Filled with God. Loving the image of the king's son stamped upon us and being formed in that. Righteousness. Eternal values. And peace. Peace. That's steady faith. This is going on all around us. Steady faith. Alright? That we are right with the king. We've been reconciled with the king. And we can be right with others as ambassadors of the king in spite of the chaos and conflict around us. Joy. Joy. <clears throat> Joy might be a little bit like when we tell, like my son finished his bath for the year. And so my wife said, you can play the Wii today till your eyeballs fall out. You should have seen the joy. All right? I know, joy's not always about being happy. All right? You've got to say it's part of it, right? Okay? There is a satisfaction in our relationship with the Father King that flows over in passion for Him and His kingdom. She, that's what she did say that. Play to your eyeballs fall out. Said, I, I told JC. That was funny. Um, that fine identity in knowing that though undeserving, we are the special objects of His undeserving grace and we minister to others because of that eternal truth. Joy. And so... Weaker brother, don't make the mistake of focusing on the externals. Stronger brother, don't make the mistake of focusing on the externals. I can eat this, right? Because you'll shrivel up. And you will shrivel others. Both the weak can do this, and the strong, and their liberty. But both, both can be slaves to the externals. Do you know that? And that is not spiritual maturity. So express eternally, express eternal values. And this one's a little struggle here with the ease, but exert or serve or work enthusiastically. You can also say uh, extrovertly, serving others here, uh, uh, directing your life to serve others. Look what he says there. For he, verse 18, that in these things serveth Christ. In these things, who, are you, who is your master? Who are you pleasing? Serveth Christ who served us 
is acceptable of God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Direct your life to serve others. Pursue selfless service. Build each other up. Putting practice the character of an ambassador of the king and serve your brothers in the church. Don't see them as, as, as obstacles, but see them as people you can serve. Pursue peace. Peace with other Christians in this church community. Are you the stronger brother? Then act like a stronger brother is what Paul's saying. What will build up the church? Stronger brothers who practice their liberty, perhaps, but who do so discerningly in love to the weaker brother, who do not look scornfully on the weaker brother and start him down a path to destruction, but pursue service to Christ in the building up of his church. Paul's saying, let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. Verse 18, he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and proved of men. Shall we search our own hearts in these matters? Let's pray.